our whole life. But razzle-dazzle does not seem to be the point of this story at all, as John tells it. In fact, he makes it clear that only a few lowly servants and the mother of Jesus see or know what is happening here. Everyone else at that wedding banquet, including the hosts and the chief wedding planner, just keep enjoying their time together without any awareness, it seems, that the wine ran out or any thought of where all of this tremendous new wine came from. If Jesus' main objective was to impress people with his supernatural power so that they would then believe him and follow him, he would have done this in a much flashier way. But that just doesn't seem to be his focus. In fact, Jesus' initial reluctance to do anything about this wine crisis might be because he just did not want that kind of recognition, especially at this point along the way. And it is interesting to note that St. John does not even call this a miracle. At the end of the story, he concludes by saying, Jesus did this the first of his signs at Cana in Galilee. And for the reader, that is a very important distinction. Because a sign is never important just in and of itself. It's not the center of attention. A sign is there to point us to what matters most, to point us to something of deep significance. And since in this case it is Jesus, the revelation of God, who is doing the sign, it has to be something that points us to a deeper understanding of who God is. And in that light, I like to come to all of these stories that John tells where he calls Jesus' acts signs with that question, what is being revealed about God here? And for me, in this story, the first thing that I see in this sign is that the essence of God is extravagant generosity. Some call it abundance. In one chapter earlier, St. John calls it grace upon grace. Whatever the language we see here, that it is in God's very nature to go over and above when God gives gifts, gifts that bring us goodness and joy in our life here on earth. Like the bread that would later not only feed 5,000 people, but fill baskets and baskets left over when everyone was full. Or like that catch of fish that happened when Jesus came and the disciples had caught nothing, and then in his presence their nets were so full of fish that they were almost breaking. Now in this case, Jesus provides what would be a modern-day equivalent of about a thousand bottles of premium wine for probably some poor people in this small little town who have already been partying for three days. And now it seems there is just no, no limit to God's generosity. The second thing that I see in this sign or through it is that God truly wants us to experience joy in our life together here on earth. I think that had to be Jesus' main objective here when he not only saved the party, but saved the reputation of the hosts 
who would have lived with perpetual shame and embarrassment in their little out-of-the-way town. In the ancient world, wedding feasts lasted for days, and it was the host's sacred responsibility to provide abundant food and drink on this one great occasion in life. Abundant food and drink for the duration of the festivities. So to run out of something, to run out of wine, was really a dishonor and a disgrace. A breach of hospitality that guests would remember, maybe for the rest of their lives, as you shared life together in a small town like that. And I think that Jesus was fully aware of that. And in my way of seeing, it must be that he not only wanted them to experience joy at that moment, at that party, but in all of life ahead that they would share together. And it really is the same joy that we still ask God to bring into our relationships today. In the opening prayer that we still use at wedding services, we pray, as you gladdened the wedding at Cana in Galilee by the presence of your son, so now bring his joy to this gathering in his presence now. In weddings and in all of life, we pray in this way because of the sign here. We pray in this way because we believe that it is God's holy will that we will have joy in our earthly existence and that we'll share that joy with others. All too often, I think Christians have been taught that they need to refrain from excessiveness of any kind, including excessive joy, especially in some cultural traditions. Over time, this message has also been reinforced, I think, by all of the artwork of Jesus that has existed over the centuries, which almost always, it seems, portray him as a very serious person, right? Or maybe even a very sad person much of the time. And we know Jesus experienced those emotions as a human being. John tells us about them. But where are the images of a joyous Jesus who must have taken great delight in the opportunities he had to sit around the table with loved ones and feast on God's bountiful gifts? When we read the Gospels, we learn that Jesus did this all the time. In fact, the dining table became the most significant place of encounter for Jesus time and time again throughout his life. And when he talked about God and the kingdom of God and the reign of God in the world and what we have to look forward to, he loved more than all the image of a banquet, of this great feast that we are invited to, where there is more than enough for everyone and where there's ample room for all at the table. But what about times in our life when we really do see and experience scarcity? What about the times when we look at life circumstances like the mother of Jesus does in this gospel story today and say, there is no wine? In our case, it might be, there is no cure or there's no reconciliation, there's no money. There's no way to go back to a better time. There's no love 
or understanding. If that resonates with your experience now, then Jesus' mother is the one who can bring you into this story where you can find yourself because she says perhaps the only thing that you know how to say right now, which is everything is not okay. We are in trouble. There is need here. And Jesus' mother is the one who can show you the way forward. Instead of panicking or becoming obsessed with this problem, she acts in a wise and in a very hopeful way. As a contemporary theologian named Debbie Thomas points out, Mary goes and tells the right person, and then she trusts that he will be able to call forth God's abundance in new and surprising ways. Not even knowing what that will look like, Mary just says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Taking that as another important sign, Debbie Thomas adds, I admire the fact that Mary doesn't wait to hear the specifics of Jesus' plan. She doesn't pretend to know the details. She doesn't invent a roadmap. She simply communicates her long-standing trust in the loving, generous character of her son and invites the, service, the servants to practice the minute-by-minute -minute obedience that alone makes faith possible. In her own beautiful way, Mary invites all of us into that same spirit of trust in the loving, generous nature of God. You and I may not be able to see or anticipate how God's abundance will overflow in our lives, but we can live as Mary did, knowing that it will. And one fulfillment of that promise that I see on countless occasions is the abundance of love and of joy that is experienced at the feast that we share together right after a funeral service or a memorial service like we will today. Yes, there is still the pain of loss, which is very real, but the generous sharing of food and companionship and treasured stories and words of encouragement and embraces, as you know, that just creates an environment that always feels a lot to me like a foretaste of that great banquet that Jesus promises when we are all reunited at God's heavenly feast. And we know from experience, many of us, that God's abundance can also fill daily life. And it doesn't always require a lot of people or great amounts of any material blessing. Last year, when a friend of mine was going through a very difficult time of transition, she wondered if she would ever actually be able to experience joy again. And then out of the blue, another couple who knew her just invited her to start having evening meals with them. Not just for one night or two nights, but however long she desired. And when she told me about this, she'd already been eating with them for over three weeks. There maybe wasn't a great amount of food every day, but there was this abundance of love and support 
I'm sure there were tears, but I know also that around that table there was laughter, and there was just the simple joy of being together. And so every night an ordinary meal was really transformed into a feast, an abundant feast, and she knew that that was because of God, that God was the source of that unexpected blessing. And as we go on our way today, we can all trust that this is what God lives for. God lives to give us these blessings. And we can go on our way remembering that it is God's very nature to go over and above in gift giving in order to bring us goodness and joy in our life together. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>